This morning's scripture is taken from 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. If you're visiting, as always, we want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together and for a beautiful day, even though it's raining outside. We are thankful that it is a spring day and that we have the opportunity to enjoy the blessings of another day of life. We're going to be looking today at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and specifically we want to note verses 6 through 12 together, the passage that Matt read just a moment ago, and he read verses 11 and 12. But we're going to be talking today about living with a purpose. There are a lot of people in this world who lack direction in life. And yet I really believe that the Bible provides for us direction and purpose. Rather than drifting through life, we can allow the Word of God to anchor us and to give us a sense of direction in a very temporal world. And so I want us to think for just a moment or two about what Paul has said in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to be looking, as I said a moment ago, at verses 6 through 12. The first thing that I call your attention to in our study together has to do with the facts of life. And really we're talking about a divine principle that is set forth in the scriptures, one that I think we would do well to consider. Look at verse 6. Paul writes, now godliness with contentment is great gain. The word contentment here carries with it the idea of a calmness of mind. It denotes satisfaction. And we understand that for many people, contentment is not a part of life. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 that he had learned in whatever state he was in, therein to be content. Granted, we have to learn contentment in life. But the Bible here says that godliness with contentment is great gain. I believe that they go hand in hand. That one of the byproducts of living a godly life in Christ Jesus is contentment. Now, if you drop down and note in verse 7, or rather verse 8, Paul says, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Let me just pause here and ask this question. Are you content with your life right now? I suspect that there are a lot of people in this world that if they were honest, they would say no. And yet one of the reasons for living a godly life, for anchoring our lives in the gospel, 
is because it produces a sense of contentment. Though things may be raging externally about us, there is a sense of calm and peace that we enjoy. Paul talks about the peace of God which passes all understanding. But there is also embedded in our text a very dangerous philosophy. Now, I said just a moment ago that our first point has to do with some facts in life. Fact number one or principle number one, godliness with contentment is great gain. But there is a philosophy that I believe undermines this contentment that we might enjoy in life. Note if you would in verses 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich or who are minded to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful or hurtful lust which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil which some having strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now there are a lot of people in this world today, they're not content because their pursuit is money and materialism. We talk about this dangerous philosophy that undermines the contentment that we might expect to have in this life. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're chasing money and materialism, and it is ultimately a dead-end road. You're not going to find true satisfaction, happiness, and contentment in the acquisition of things or money for that matter. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said that those who are in pursuit of these things typically find themselves without a relationship with the Lord. Many people, because of greed and the desire for more in this life, have been led astray from the faith. It's interesting in looking at the Gospel of Luke, we read of an account of a young man that approached Jesus on one occasion in chapter 18, And he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded by saying, there is none good but one that is God. In other words, there's only one who is good in the absolute sense of the word, that being God, deity. But he said, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. This man responded by saying, all of these have I kept from my youth up. But Jesus said, you still lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. The Bible, however, says that this man became very sorrowful. And the reason was because he was very rich. And so Jesus responds by saying, How difficult it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes in our pursuit for things, our spiritual vision becomes blurred. 
we begin focusing on things that are unimportant as opposed to those things that are eternal and lasting. And so, those who are in pursuit of money and materialism need to beware. Because as Paul points out, it's a very dangerous philosophy. That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. To put our faith and trust in things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Now, the second thing that Paul calls our attention to has to do with the fixity of life. And here we're talking about a principle, a life principle that is not subject to change. It is not subject to alteration in any way. Note what he says in verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. No truer words have ever been penned. You remember Job, the great patriarch of the past, and Job faced a number of problems in his life. As a matter of fact, when we read the story of Job, we have to feel a sense of compassion for the great losses that he suffered in life. And yet his trust in God remained firm and steadfast. He may not have necessarily understood all that was occurring in his life. He had some friends that misunderstood what was going on and they offered him some erroneous conclusions to the problems he was facing. But nonetheless, after Job lost his children, seven sons and three daughters, he made this statement in chapter 1, verse 21. He said, naked I came into this world, and naked shall I depart. In Psalm 49, the psalmist speaks of the rich and the glories of their household. But he said, in death, they carry nothing away. Now, you want to talk about a truth that is found in the Bible. What Paul said in verse 7 of chapter 6 is a truth. We came into this world with nothing, and it is absolutely certain we're leaving with nothing. We're not going to take anything with us. That's why in verse 8, Paul said, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. We better be careful that we're not hooking our wagon, so to speak, to those temporal, transitory things of life. If the things of life are what bring us, ultimately, satisfaction and happiness, then we're putting our hope in those things that are going to pass away. And so Paul is saying, if you want to find true contentment and happiness in life, you need to live a godly life. You need to anchor yourself in that which is not temporal or ephemeral in any way. And so we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. But then there is a third thing that Paul points out in our study. And this has to do with where our focus in life really needs to be. In light of the transitory nature of life, here's what Paul says in verse 11. 
But you, O man of God, flee these things. All right? There are a lot of people in our world, they're in hot pursuit of money, materialism. They're in pursuit of those transitory things that they think will bring them true satisfaction, happiness, and contentment. Paul said that's not the case. Paul said, no, you need to flee these things. Now, here's another life principle. Here's what he says. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, or gentleness. Now, there are a lot of people in our society today, they have the idea that fame and fortune, that those are the things that make up the character of a man or a woman. If you don't believe that, then just look to Hollywood. Look at the, look at the business world. In the realm of corporate business, what do people say? Well, the more you have, the more prosperous you become, the greater your power, the greater your prominence. And thus, from a social perspective, they view you as high up the ladder. Many people think that's what makes a person. But Paul is saying that fame and fortune, and you might throw in fashion, those are not the things that make a man. What makes a man or a woman is faith. We talk about character and how character counts for something, and it does. We talk about the character that we exemplify in this world. There's a lot to be said for developing the kind of character that the Lord is pleased with. Now, if we take these eternal truths and embed these things in our lives, then we're going to be living the kind of life that is pleasing in the eyes of Jehovah God. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. And I really believe that the Apostle Paul had a very special relationship or kinship to Timothy. And Paul is giving some very sage or wisely advice to Timothy here. He's saying, Timothy, you take these characteristics and you make them a part of your spiritual life. You engage in right doing. You become godly in your behavior. You live in pursuit of patience or perseverance. You demonstrate meekness or strength under control in your life. Peter talks about adding to our faith virtue and to virtue temperance or self-control. And to self-control, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. And he said, if these things are in you and abound, they make you to where you're not unfruitful or barren in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we begin to focus on these things, then we bring substance to our lives. There is a sense of quality that we enjoy. 
Those who develop these characteristics and these qualities, they're looking at life from an eternal, a spiritual vantage point, rather than just a temporal, transitory, ephemeral vantage point. But then if you would, note verse 12. Because in verse 12, Paul now talks about the fight that we must be involved in, in this life. You see, we are in pursuit of these principles that are going to make us pleasing in the eyes of God. These principles are going to help us to become more like the Lord, to exemplify His virtues. But look at verse 12, if you would. In verse 12, Paul said, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. One thing that people sometimes fail to see in the scriptures is that those of us who are God's people, we are involved in spiritual warfare. That is, we're involved in a fight. Paul talks about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our warfare is spiritual in nature. Paul talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 1 about waging a good warfare. Well, we understand that there is a fight that we're involved in. And so Paul here says we need to fight the good fight of faith. Well, what about living with purpose? What is our ultimate purpose, our aim, our goal in life? Well, we're trying to develop certain qualities here in this life that make us pleasing in the eyes of God. We want to live as the Lord lived. We want to follow in His steps. We want to to cultivate certain characteristics that enable us to view life as the Lord would have us to view it. And so our ultimate, our ultimate goal or aim or thrust in life is to be with the Lord in eternity. And so Paul said what we have to do is fight the good fight of faith. Why are we involved in a fight? Because the Bible says that our adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You and I are engaged in spiritual warfare. And so what we are doing is we are fighting literally for our spiritual lives. But ultimately before us is eternal life. Now Paul said to Titus in Titus chapter 1 verse 2 that we live in hope of life eternal which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. The idea that Paul is conveying here is that we are going to go all out in our pursuit of eternal life. Sometimes we read about athletes, maybe in the realm of basketball or football, and they talk about leaving everything on the court or on the field. And what they're saying is that every ounce of energy 
everything that they have, internally, physically speaking, mentally speaking, everything they left on that court or on that field. They expended every bit of their energy in that particular game. I think that's what Paul is saying here. We are going to go all out in our pursuit of eternal life. Think about those ancient Grecian games. And I think that's the figure that Paul is conveying here. Of fighting the good fight. Of laying hold on life eternal. I think about an ancient athlete who would be in a race. As he comes to the finish line, he is literally stretching out, trying to hit the mark, trying to hit that finish line. That's what we're doing as Christians. We're going all out. We're laying it on the line so that we might acquire that home in heaven. Now, what is the thrust of your life? Does your life lack direction or purpose? Do you have some kind of goal in mind are you aiming for something for anything Paul here is saying that what we need to do is aim for heaven I think about people that have obeyed the gospel they've made that good confession they've acknowledged in the presence of others that they believe Jesus Christ is the son of God they have acknowledged the fact that they believe in deity they believe in Jesus and they understand that through him they have life and they have it abundantly and they understand that through him they have the hope of eternal life now that's where we are as Christians we have acknowledged the Lord we have said that he is the master the Lord of our lives And because of that, we're trying to live in such a way so that one day we'll be with him in heaven. Think about what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He had announced his departure to the apostles. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. There are a lot of people in this world today. They may not necessarily believe in heaven. They may not even believe that there was a man named Jesus who was God in the flesh. But you and I, we have hope. And what we're trying to do is extend hope to those in this world. We're trying to encourage people to become followers of the Lord. We're trying to encourage people to live for something that's better than life here on earth. What is that something? It's heaven. I want to close by encouraging all of us to keep fighting the good fight of faith. To live with purpose and direction. To not merely drift through life, but to look to the Lord. To recognize that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. A life without God would be a life very empty. 
I'm convinced that there's a void, a vacuum in the lives of people who do not believe in God, who have no aspirations for heaven. That's why Solomon said, fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole of man. Today we ask you, does your life lack direction? Are you simply drifting through life? Why not focus your life on the Lord? Why not make heaven your aim, your goal this very day? Paul said, lay hold on eternal life. It's before all of us. The question is, are we going to live in such a way so that one day the Lord says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. It may be that you're here today, you're not a Christian. What would you need to do to come to Christ? Well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? We said that there are many people in the world today, they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in heaven, they don't believe in the Bible, but we, we believe these things. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, obviously you believe these things. What would you need to do? The Bible says you need to put your faith in the Lord. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. Then we must repent and be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. When you do that, the Lord will then add you to his church, Acts 2, 47. It is in that beautiful body that we have the hope of life eternal, Ephesians 5, 23. If you're unfaithful, could we encourage you to come home? Could we encourage you to come back to God who will abundantly pardon every sin? Would you come as we stand and sing?